I, I think everyone's sort of craving a Craven the Hunter. Uh, that, that would not be Tobey Maguire. <laughs> no, that's got to be Joe Manganiello. Like. For sure. Yeah. There's really only one choice for that, and it's already been made. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. You are Keith Foster, the co-host of this program. That's right, I am. And you are Cassidy Robinson, the O-host of this program. Yes. The original host. is. I got what you were doing. Okay. Yeah, it totally (laughs) made sense to me. All right, all right. I'm a little off. Uh, Last week would have normally been Comic-Con, and they did do Comic-Con from home. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know, did did you watch any of it? Uh, no, I wasn't sure exactly how that worked because I thought you had to be a Comic-Con pass holder to be able to log into the different panels and stuff. So do you read a single pop culture article? I mean, this is basically (laughs) a pop culture podcast, right? Uh, we have covered WonderCon in the past Uh and... You tell me. You, oh, or rather, you tell the guests or the uh, the listeners of the podcast. What was your Comic Con from home experience? Uh, okay, well, so all you had to do was fucking follow Comic Con on YouTube. Like you just subscribe to a YouTube channel, and they like mm-hmm. you know post all their panels. Uh, so I, I, I mean, obviously, it was no replacement for the real deal. It was a bummer. Um, you know, normally I take the whole week off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have friends from the opposite side of the country fly in and stay with me. We we usually do a group cosplay. Like, we make a whole thing out of it. Right. Um, you know, obviously, everything's shut down, so nobody came over. Uh, nobody did anything. I ended up not even taking the days off from work because, you know, it's just a waste of time off at that point um so you know it wasn't the same but i do appreciate that comic-con like tried to do something you know my badge is good for next year um they like all the badges they just are transferring over to the next year so um i don't have to stress about buying buying a new badge or anything like that you know so it, it was just like a here's Here's free content for everybody. And, uh, you know, they didn't have any big movie panels because, you know, there's not a lot of content being produced right now. So there's not a whole lot to hype up and a whole lot to share. Yeah. Did they not have any announcements, though? Like, I mean, maybe they don't have uh, any specific dates that they can announce, but was there no, like, casting announcements or anything not super crazy? Really? I, so... It's super frustrating. DC Entertainment, like DC Comics, is doing their own fucking online event in like a couple weeks called DC Fandom. Uh, I'm calling it DC Fandom. It's real. I don't know. It's really frustrating to me because it's like kind of I think they kind of are biting the hand that feeds them a little bit like 
just participate in this online event. Don't try to make your own thing. I don't know. I, I'm kind of frustrated by that. So, uh, in also because of that Marvel, you know, they're not going to release anything on an event like this. Uh, they, you know, they had some stuff for like Disney plus or whatever. Um, like some announcements for like some original shows or, or stuff, you know, uh, but you know, it's all free and it's all still there. Uh, I don't know if they're going to take it down at a certain point. So, you know, check out Comic-Con's YouTube subscription. And, and there's like, there's a lot of the cool small panels that I normally don't have a chance to go to, like, you know, building your own nerd brand or like how to, how to self-publish a comic book and stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of cool online resources now that, that, that just give away for free. I, I don't know. So, uh, yeah. yeah, there there wasn't a lot of big announcements. There were some, like, TV panels and stuff where, you know, they, like, zoomed the actors or whatever. But um, it is cool. Because the unspoken, like, oh, the unspoken uh, I don't know if this came up in any of the panels that you watched, but, I mean, I've been hearing that the comic book industry as a whole is taking a huge hit. From oh, yeah. from this and that uh, might not survive it. I mean, here's the thing: uh, it might not survive. It's gonna at least survive. in the short term. Uh, yes and no. So, uh, yeah, they they got really backed up on a lot of publishing dates for stuff. Um, you know, but they're figuring out how to do, you know, and a lot of the writers and, and artists are already work from home. So it's mm-hmm. the the hard part is like getting the publishing side of it up to speed. Uh, I'm Here's the thing. People are always going to create comic books. And as long as people do that, that, you know, comics will exist. So, you know, maybe we might lose a lot of smaller books. Uh, which is a bummer. Um, you know, I'm sure DC and Marvel aren't happy about it, but, you know, like, fucking DC's funded by Warner Brothers Entertainment, and Marvel is fucking the Disney machine now, so they're gonna be fine. Uh, right. I'm, I'm not terribly worried about it. And, you, you know, I, I think... I'm more worried about... I'm more worried about uh, small presses and yes. and yeah. shops. Oh yeah, yeah. Shops are—they're just dropping like flies. It's it, yeah, that which is, was already kind of a shaky industry before. Yeah, I I mean, yeah. It, how fucking shitty is it to survive Amazon, to survive online retail, and then get shut down due to a fucking pandemic, and then you're just done? Like, yeah, you know, a lot of the a lot of these brick and mortar comic book shops are kind of month to month, you know, they they survive on their pull lists when right. when people let their pull lists add up for weeks at a time, you know, and they they're not making that money like it is a, a tough industry. So yes, that is that is a huge downside. The the comic book shops, uh there have been a few that I frequent that have already closed down. Mm-hmm. Um a, a couple of them that I still really like exist like you know, there's there's one close to me that figured out how to do um, like curbside pickup and online orders and stuff. So I was yeah. getting stuff from them, and you know, I I think I don't know. Hopefully, 
something new comes out of the devastation, but I think that's just kind of every industry right now. For sure, yeah. And I have a feeling, maybe I'm wrong about this, maybe this is overly optimistic, but I have a feeling like once everything is something like normal, um, that people are going to crave the in-store experience because they've been stuck at yes. home ordering things online oh. um, forcibly for months, possibly yeah, years. I agree with so you. So I think once that, they're going to be like, looking for excuses to do the in-store experience. And even if shops and stuff are closing now, I think there could possibly be like a reaction to that at the end of the rainbow here. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think, um, yeah, I mean, it, it sucks for the shops that aren't surviving it. But again, right. hopefully, you know, hopefully it creates a new an opportunity for maybe a new kind of comic book shop experience. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not worried about the industry. I'm worried about the, the people that aren't, you know, the, the creators that aren't going to make it and, and the stores that aren't going to weather the storm. Like that's what sucks. I know I noticed you were doing like you even reactivated your Facebook account um, mm-hmm. to uh, do some commission artwork. What was that all about? Yeah, so um, I I've been I've had this art account for a while um, uh, at Sticky Note Aesthetic on Instagram. Um, but one of the benefits for me about being stuck at home is I have had a lot of time to to sort of like rediscover this this thing that I used to enjoy. So um, so I've had this account for a few months now, and I was like, I love Comic-Con so much, and it's been a huge part of my life, and it, it sucks that I'm just sitting here doing nothing. Uh, and, you know, one of the cool things about Comic-Con is you can meet creators, you can find artists, you can walk right up to them and tell them how much you love their work, and you can get commissions made. Um, and sometimes artists will even do like art drops where they'll just draw like a tiny sketch and leave it in, you know, uh, a place around the convention center or around downtown San Diego. And they'll take a picture of it. And it's like, just let me know, you know, tag me if you find this so that I can, you know, post that it's claimed or whatever, you know, so they do these kind of art drops. So it's like, I'm going to try to do something like that. Like, I don't know if I'm good enough to really charge people. Uh, and I know, which is, I'm not interested in making money doing it. I just want to like sort of do a cool Comic-Con experience thing for people who aren't getting to, to do that for people like me who are missing out. So, um, yeah, I just said, you know, follow my page and tag three friends. And then I, I randomly picked five people, one for each day of con. And I'm, uh, you know, they they gave me a character they want me to draw, so I'm drawing them a, a totally free commission artwork, and, and once they're done, I'm going to mail them out. And, it, you know, it's been a lot of fun, and, and the people who won have been so excited and so, like, stoked, and it, like, you know, it, it made some people's con experience, and it definitely made mine, so it was it was a lot of fun. I'm glad I did it. Right. So uh, I know you'll probably mention this at the end of the show too, but what's the name of your Instagram account? It's at Sticky Note Aesthetic, and that's where people could contact you if they wanted a commission. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. My commissions are closed right now just because I am pretty backed up with these Comic-Con ones. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'll post a thing when I reopen them and, and you know, you can reach out still. Cool. Well, uh, today we're going to be reviewing The Old Guard, which uh, was a new film that was recently dropped on Netflix. And at the end of the podcast from the Amazon streaming, uh, Amazon Prime streaming, uh, we'll be reviewing the 1982 film Liquid Sky. Um, before we get to those, we have a segment we've done a couple times before called Don't Call It a Comeback. And I actually ask you to find two people to talk about people who maybe have lost their way, some uh, actors who we used to like, but we haven't seen in a few things in a few years, Um, people that need the leg up, need a comeback, and we're going to play a career doctor and tell them how they should be moving forward. What was the first one that you picked? The first one is, like, kind of, I don't know, it might be a little controversial because he already is kind of having a little bit of a comeback. Mm. I'm more thinking of what's his next step, but I'm talking about my boy, Brendan Fraser. Has uh, he been having a comeback? Dude, he's in uh, Doom Patrol, which it was a DC Universe Online exclusive for the first season, and now it's on HBO Max. Now, that I mean, HBO Max is such a clusterfuck um, yeah but they moved it over so it would have a broader audience and it is one of the best superhero shows i think that's been on tv like mm-hmm. it's so good and brendan fraser uh he he's mostly doing voice acting um because he's playing robot man and it's like it's a different actor in the suit but in the robot suit but he provides the voice Mm. And it's, he's so good. And I just, it just made me remember like, ah, man, Brendan Fraser is, he's, he was always charismatic as fuck. Like, I just, he's so likable. He's so, like, I don't know. He just seems like someone you know, you know, he's so Mm. relatable. Well, that's Uh, the thing about Brendan Fraser as an actor is like, I think people who are maybe... 10 or so years younger than us, never really got to experience good Brendan Fraser. Yeah. So probably the earliest memory of of him they have is one of the Mummy movies, which was like on the tipping point. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you look back into his 90s work, he was actually a kind of semi-serious actor. He was in Oscar-nominated films like God's Monsters. Might have been nominated in that film. And... He fell into the family-friendly zone, I guess probably because he was George of the Jungle, which was like Mm -hmm. a huge hit, and taught him all the wrong lessons about what to do in his career. I think also um, the the movie, even though, uh, also no shade on George of the Jungle, it's a a fun movie, and um, (laughs) uh, I think it came out around the same time as Bedazzled, which was another kind of like... And and he just started kind of doing all these like kitschy yeah, uh, premise like comedies, blast yeah. from the past and stuff. Uh, but and but here's the thing: I think he's. I kind of like both of those movies. Blast from the past and Bedazzled are like are fun. I no, and that's that's what I mean. Like uh, uh, they're not bad movies. They just 
though that type of movie was kind of dying out right he he just sort of kept doing them and and just it seemed like he just couldn't break away from that and 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 then it became the dorky dad in everything and he he did stuff like furry vengeance and um Mm -hmm. i don't know uh several other movies kind of in that lane yeah uh so I just think he he he's having a moment right now where his next move could be could be a big one for him, I think. Um, yeah, so I was unaware of the whole Doom Patrol thing, but I think if that you said that he's mostly the voice of a robot, right? In that? Yes. Yeah. Which is sort of a thankless thing because no matter how good your performance is, you'll never get credit for it. Well, um, uh, oh, so it's not entirely voiceover. Like he does I mean, this this isn't really spoilers, but he's like a race car driver who gets into an accident and then uh, his brain gets put in a robot body. Sure. Trust me, this show is so fucking good. Uh, anyway, um, and so, you know, do we ever see him, though? Is there like yes. enough flashbacks or whatever? Yeah, so the character's introduced as a human, and then we do see... Uh, flashbacks with him as a human and like you know sometimes there's weird psychedelic stuff where it's like oh I have my body back and you know um, so we do see him every every few episodes or so um, so mm-hmm. it isn't like he's just the voice right uh, but yeah I just I think anyone in our age group who watches Doom Patrol is just like oh fuck that's Brendan Fraser and and it just makes you want more Brendan Fraser Right. So what I'm going to say for his comeback is he either needs to have a starring role, like maybe not the main star, but within like the top billing mm-hmm. of a serious um, non-genre, like prestige television show, like something like... Um, Oh, what was that one that everyone likes with Brian Cox? Succession? Yeah, something like that. Something where he gets to, like, really dig in. to yeah. st- Because that's the thing, is I want to see Brendan Fraser get away from being the dorky dad, or the comedy, or the mummy, and these kind of, like, big, these things that don't help him, ultimately. Um, so, yeah, I would like to see him be able to really get into a juicy role that has a lot of dynamics. He can be a very interior actor when he wants to be. Um, So I'd like to see him be able to flex a little bit. Um, So something like that, or maybe a guest starring role or a, a a, a fairly prominent feature in something like a David Fincher thriller. So I, I agree with you that I think he should, kind of stick with tv for the time being like he i think he um i mean you know he was the the leading man for a, a long enough you know and and he had some pretty bad experiences uh uh like pretty abusive experiences and stuff as as that kind of hit you know hollywood a-list kind of thing yeah um, so I can see why he's kind of hesitant to like even broach that. Um, so I think what I, I think what would be cool is if he did like, like a guest season as like uh, a villainous turn 
because uh, we've always seen him as, like you said, either the dorky dad or the hero. Like, yeah, uh, or the relatable know, I, guy. Yeah, I think it'd be cool if he had like, if he was like a seasoned villain on Ozark or something. Uh, yeah. And kind of, kind of pulled like a, a Giancarlo Esposito, you know, like some, like you said, something dramatic, something meaty. Um, and I think it would be even better if if he wasn't like the lead of whatever it was. And I think uh, like a guest villain appearance would be would be really cool for that. Or maybe even Succession. That'd be fucking cool if he was like a rival billionaire family or or, or whatever. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that show was still happening or not, so I, I that's why a, I said something like Succession. It's still happening. B, it's really good. I I was very skeptical about it uh, because of all the hype. I was like, this can't live up to the hype. There's two seasons. I watched them. They're great. And, uh, you know, they're planning a third season, but COVID, so. All right. Well, when that happens, call up Brendan Fraser. Totally. Um. All right. So for my pick, and uh, we'll do three, so you'll pick the last one. Um, okay. But for my my pick here in the middle, Leah Thompson, a.k.a. Marty McFly's mother from Back to the Future movies, a.k.a. Caroline in the City. Yeah. Okay. I saw her do an interview kind of recently, within the last five plus years or so. And she's aged so gracefully. She's still beautiful. And very engaging, very funny, very witty. Like, it was just a great interview. I think she was talking about Back to the Future or something. And um, this is just another case of, like, Hollywood, like, chewing up somebody and spitting them out when they have so much more to give. She definitely still has a lot of mileage on her. I would love to see love to see her in some stuff again. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially since there's not a... I mean, I, they're, like, I don't know about the, if that's even accurate. I was going to say there's not a lot of people in that age range that can really give us a ton. But that's not true. It's just that nobody calls them anymore. So yeah. what do we do with Leah Thompson to put her in the limelight again to where, you know, your average 24-year-old knows who Leah Thompson is? Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to repeat myself, mm-hmm. um, but I I think... I think she should try to hook up with Reese Witherspoon and her production company and, again, maybe try to get a guest star on, uh, uh, what's their, their show, Big Little Lies? Um, yeah. The, the, you know, uh, something like that I think would be cool. Like, you know, they, they had Meryl, uh, Meryl Streep um, for the uninitiated yeah. <laughs> to do something this season like you know maybe that's that show's flex is like let's get these you know because that's kind of what that show was uh, yeah let's uh, get the who's who of like big uh powerful female performers and and just let them do their thing yeah that that typically uh you know a decade ago people would have said had aged out but now that you know that there are more i mean honestly like it's a big part of it is reese witherspoon and her production company like that's their focus and and i think that's really cool so i think you know like trying to get in there or or maybe like even an hbo original movie or or something like that where she 
she gets to do some work. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Because uh, again, I think she's you're you're right. Like she's a, a really good actress, and I think um, and she didn't do like I hate to like. I don't know. This is maybe low key sexist or something, but she didn't do what a lot of actresses around that age do and like completely destroy their face with plastic surgery. Uh, I mean, because there's a lot of people from that that era, from that age group, that sort of Gen X, who now are so unrecognizable that they've pretty much made them uncastable. I don't know if your comment sexist, but I think it definitely is a result of sexist culture. You know, like right. It is it is a thing where women are held to these impossible beauty standards that the men don't have so once they hit you know 35 to 40 they are like they there is this pressure to like stay young looking stay young looking so a lot of them do get work I I yeah. do think it's a knife's edge like playing the guessing game of who's had work and who hasn't because I, I do think plastic surgery has come a long fucking way from. And she may um, have, or she may haven't. I, I mean, this is a, it's a very much a side kind of thing. All I'm saying is like she's aged gracefully. She's aged gracefully, and there's still so much you can do with her. And what I was kind of thinking, sort of in the same lines, what you were thinking, I think I, I, I thought of Big Little Lies or something of that effect. Like get in there with a powerhouse cast, and you know, create a really cool feature for her. Um, or you know, a season or two or something where she can where she can have fun. And the other thing I was thinking is something like a Greta Gerwig film, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. like playing the mother or playing uh, inspirational teacher or something like that, where she gets some one on one with the uh, with the lead, or even you know be hey, a star depending on how they want to. Yeah. How they write it? Say, what if what if we have a movie where the fucking mother or the the inspirational teacher is the lead? Like for sure, yeah. Wouldn't that be a twist? I think Uh, the only reason I thought of it in those terms as supporting is um, a because let's be real, if you're Leah Thompson, you're lucky to get a supporting cast role, Um, and b whenever Greta Gerwig writes films, she's usually sort of writing an analog of, her, of herself <laughs> as the yeah. lead. So um, uh, I figured that would probably be the way it would go this time around. But you're right. You know, it, it would be great to have a cool movie about a middle-aged woman that, you know, deals with life or whatever. And, you know, there are some. Uh, you yeah, know, that, that does happen. Just... It's just Meryl Streep gets all of them. Uh, not Char- Charlize Theron gets quite a few. Like I'm, I'm immediately. Well, we'll get to Charlize of, uh, when we talk about when we talk about the old yes. guard because she's yeah. played her career like that person. Like her agent should be everyone's agent. But well, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll yeah, get there. I didn't, don't want to give away the the horse before the cart or something. Totally, she needs she needs something where she can flex. Um. Okay. What is your last actor who who okay, needs to come yeah. back? I'm I am glad you picked a woman because I picked two dudes who I think kind of had similar similar problems, but I think I think the way they deal with these problems might be very different. I'm uh my pick my final pick is for Toby Maguire, the original Spider-Man himself. Tobes. Yeah, so what what do we do with Tobey Maguire? You know that one's a especially 
kind of sad because yeah, very similar to to uh uh Brendan Fraser, although I don't think his fall was as hard. Um, no, and he and kind of he faded kind of away went, rather than burnt out. Exactly. He he also uh you know notably says he re- is retired um because I was like looking up last night cuz uh we rewatched Spider-Man 3 which Whew. we can get into that in a second if you want but um <laughs> uh he had said he you know he was having struggling with some addiction some alcoholism and i guess he was having some like gambling problems and really? uh, a- apparently he was like he's also like very competitive and uh at the time he was up for stuff against for uh auditioning against Leonardo DiCaprio and the two of them are actually like really good friends and so oh, right was, yeah yeah I've like heard that. like draining his friendship with Leo so he was like didn't want to do movies like competing for roles with you know people he liked anymore um which i think yeah. you know is is interesting um, uh because again like like uh like Brendan Fraser, he he was sort of a pretty serious actor um, starting mm-hmm. out. Uh, you know, movies like Cider House Rules and and uh, and uh, Sea Biscuit and stuff like that. And then he got the role of a lifetime at the time in Spider Man. And then unfortunately, it was it was he was so tied to Peter Parker as a personality and as a it, it just overshadowed everything else in his career and he kind of went down with the ship once uh the Raimi movies the Spider-Man movies um started to become less popular and when everyone decided we needed a reboot he kind of got thrown out with everything else and Um, and now almost worse he is he is I think this generation probably only knows him as the cry face meme Right, yeah, which is unfortunate. Um, you know, yeah, there's so, so there's a lot to be said we... about the Spider the the early Spider-Man movies and and what they did. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so how do we pivot from that? How do we get him away? You know, like what do we what do we do with Tobes? Well, Tobey Maguire is in his 40s now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I would like to see? I would like to see him do something akin you know, going back to the Spider-Man three cast, akin to what um, Topher Grace did in Black Klansman, not oh, not necessarily yeah. play a white supremacist, but um, be in a, a kind of more of an ensemble thing, um, mm-hmm. but have a role where people are like, "Whoa, Tobey Maguire is playing the you know insert surprising career term yeah, yeah. here." Yeah, I think something like that where he gets to kind of play his age a little because he's I think people still think of him as Peter Parker, so they in their brains he's still 22 years old. Yeah, he's, um, I mean he's still got that a bit of a baby face. And, yeah, he's and very stuff, boyish. But. So, I mean, but so is Leonardo DiCaprio to a certain extent. He sort of aged out of it. But uh yeah, I think something like that where again he gets to sort of be carried along by maybe a a supporting cast that's doing better than he is right now. Um, but also be able to, to flex and, and show that he can have a bigger range than just Spider-Man. I think, yeah, I think that should be his second project back. 
Yeah, uh, do you think we need a little warm up to that before he's Yes, and my what I would love to see Toby Maguire do. What I yeah. think would would fucking make him a household name again. Before he does the the you know the I think I know what you're going to say. Substantial meaty role MCU villain mm-hmm. specifically a For Spider-Man, Spider-Man villain. Yep. Yep. I thought about that, and I thought maybe that's a little too on the nose, but no. I, I actually, in a weird way, think it makes sense, because it would make people remember him again, mm-hmm. and like him, and show that he has range all at the same time. Exactly. And the the MC... I mean, Spider-Man has always cast its villains really well. Like, they've, they've always been able to do that. Uh, even... Even the uh, the Mark Webb ones, I think Oof. they got the casting right. I think it was just there was a whole bunch of other problems with those movies. Sure. So, so who, I th- well, now this opens a whole new thing. What? Who are you suggesting Tobey Maguire play in the, oh, as a man. Spider-Man villain? I think he could. I I think there's a lot he could play. Um, he could be a good lizard. I I don't I, I don't know. I think the lizard is. He isn't dynamic enough. Yeah, uh, and then I, I plus think, once you're the lizard, you're just a big CGI thing. Exactly. I think it's got to be something where we can see his face a little bit more. And and the lizard is very similar to the Hulk in, like, you know... Anybody ethos. can be him, really. Yeah, and it's like, oh, well, he's just kind of a rage monster, so he's a little too sympathetic. Mm. I think I want to see him play something, like, villainous. Like, like uh, I think... He could do a really good electro, and they could kind of turn that away from from what they did with Jamie Foxx's character and do a very different take on that. Yeah. Um, you yeah, know, I don't know I enough think, about electro. But like he was one of those Spider-Man of, villains I never cared about. So I think that's I think that's kind of that character. Like he's he can be kind of a generic villain, um, or he could be really you know, a really menacing, like, sociopath. I, I think Electro's a little bit more of a blank slate uh, that you could play with it a little more. The other yeah. villain, I I would think, um, is I think it would be cool if he played the chameleon. Um, oh, okay, yeah. I think that might that might be the better move. Yeah, because he's, he's like a shapeshifter, or, well... N- not shapeshifter, but he can wear other people's faces, and so you could have some fun seeing Toby Maguire like play all these different characters and stuff. I, I, and it's just a different status than I think Toby Maguire typically plays. Um, right. So I think that could be a cool one too. And he's a little bit of a deeper cut uh, of a villain. So right, because at this point. Get- they're sort of running out of villains that they haven't been done fairly recently. Like that's the only issue with Electro is the take would have to be so different that people forget about the Jamie Foxx thing. Which um, I, I think is very doable. It's but, doable. Um, yeah. Um, and they already had shocker sort of, yeah, so they can't do that. I mean, the big one that I think, uh, that, that the MCU needs to bring in that we've never seen. Um, but I, do, I don't think Tobey Maguire is right for this part would be uh Craven the hunter. He's, for sure. I, I think everyone's sort of craving a Craven the Hunter. Uh, that, that would not be Tobey Maguire. <laughs> no, that's got to be Joe Manganiello. Like. For sure. Yeah. 
There's really only one choice for that, and it's already been made. Yeah, that's that's a that's a interesting choice. I I it, immediately thought Spider Man villain, but then I was like, no, that's too that's too simple. No, but but that's but why it, it's so perfect. And yeah. then he does the follow up like, like sort of black Klansman. prestige. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Well, there you go. You're welcome. All yeah. of you people. Uh, have your people talk to our people, and we'll get some stuff set up. You know, or assuming that any of these actors want to come back in that sort of way. I mean, Brendan Fraser's still kicking it. I don't know about uh, Leah Thompson or Tobey Maguire. I, I think they might. Uh, I think Tobey Maguire might be kind of done, but um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. All right. Well, then let's go ahead and get into the first film. Uh, we'll be talking about the Old Guard and Keith. What is this movie about? Uh, so this is about, there is this, uh, team of, uh, this group of mercenaries that are these undying soldiers. Um, they can be killed, but they, they keep coming back to life and, uh, they, you know, they have been fighting these battles for centuries now and, uh, this is the story about how they get the attention of uh, sort of these modern threats, specifically Pharma Bro, Martin Screlly, basically, yeah. um, who wants to to basically dissect them and figure out how they keep coming back to life and how he can use that and market that as a, as a drug. And That's, then they also, there's a... Uh... There's a new person that they find who is able to who discovers her powers, I guess you would say, that she can't she can't be killed and they did they yes. recruit her and try and keep her safe while she's figuring stuff out. Yeah, because all of these immortal warriors have this kind of psychic link. Mm -hmm. Um and, the rules yeah. are a little fuzzy. Little. Uh we do know that uh so every time they die they come back to life um, mm -hmm. until they don't. So at some point they do have an expiration date and they, they never know when, when that's that going is. to happen, uh, which I do think that is an important detail to, for the movie's tension. Yeah. Um, because otherwise it's just like, okay, they're just going to, you know, they're just going to keep coming back. Right. Um, but these, these warriors, these, uh, paramilitary uh, operatives, whatever you want to call them, they have been fighting for centuries, some of which, I mean, we, uh, Charlize Theron plays the lead, and she has been around since at least the 1100s, mm -hmm. um, possibly older. We also have uh, Matthias uh, Schronertz, who plays Booker, uh, Marwan uh, Kenzari, who people might remember was uh, Jafar in the Aladdin movie. Uh, he plays Joe. Oh. Uh, Luca Marinelli plays Nikki. Um, and then uh, Chibatella Geofor uh, is in there, um, not as one of the warriors, but as one of the one of the people who are trying to find them and exploit their powers. Yeah, he's sort of the guy who like figures it all out. And yeah, and, and then the main realizes. baddie is played by Harry Melling, um, aka Dudley Dursley. Yeah, it's. Uh, what I mean, what what did you? What was your impressions of it? it so, this is based on a comic, which I didn't know until I re read about it later. This is based on a a Greg Rucka graphic novel. Yes, which was one of the reasons I was was interested in it. Um, 
So I I think, and I haven't read the comic, but I I remember like seeing promo art when it came out, and I was like, ooh, that's that's a cool premise, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what I thought with this is like, ooh, this is a cool premise, but I I don't I don't know that I was terribly happy with what they did with the premise. <laughs> like, it's all set in you know modern day. All the all of the action is sort of like these covert op you know, modern sort of paramilitary stuff. Yeah. And I just feel like that's sort of the most boring scenario for a group of unkillable warriors. I don't know. I just, I would have liked to see them like travel through time a bit more. Like I, it, it, you know, and I think I just, I like the premise. I like the world. I basically like the cast, but I don't know that they gave them enough to, to, do for the most part um but i don't really like the plot i don't really like the story we're set in because it's like oh okay a drug company like wants to harvest that like okay an evil scientist wants to harvest them for their genes and i was like it just was sort of it just feels sort of done like i don't know that there's anything in this movie that hasn't been in like every wolverine movie (laughs) Uh, right. Uh, there's also, I noticed this, I don't know if you did, but not in the setting or um, in the style of the film per se, but the, a lot of the plot points, the beats, mm, are almost a one for one for the first Matrix movie. Oh, uh, yeah, that's actually funny because I recently rewatched the first Matrix. Um, yeah. I mean, but, even down to like a there's a betrayer and like I mean, it does. It, this is sort of just sort of Camp Campbellian one hundred and one sort of stuff. But there's yeah. you know the the new girl who joins the team, and they do that thing that lazy writers love to do, where you explain everything to the new person so that you're explaining it mm-hmm. to the audience. Um, y- yeah, exactly. And I'm like. And I, I get that that is a bit of a problem with something is is high, high premise is yeah. this, but it's like if it's going to be high concept, I would like to see some of I would like to see some of that pay off in ways other than just sort of you know them having like a healing factor and them like getting up after their shot. That's what I mean when it's like sort of the yeah. most. I felt like this is just sort of the most boring version of this story of this type of story we could get and like and yeah, i don't I'm, know like I, i'm kind of with you i think the the i'm I, i'm with the cast i actually like you know it's diverse it's like racially diverse and they're you know there's gay characters in it and stuff and that's cool yeah um yeah. who that isn't just their thing it's like they just happen to be um and yeah that's, and they don't they don't make yeah, that like such a big deal. It just it, right. they treat it sort of like you know you would a uh, any relationship, which was nice. Right, um, and then and, and I it, also like the I, I like the premise. Generally speaking, once I understood what was going on, I was like, oh okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the biggest bummer here is the screenplay is just like really, really pedestrian. And also, like I think you know. Comparing it to another Netflix action thing that we recently reviewed, uh, yeah. comparing it to Extraction um, a little bit, because I think, you know, the setting feels... This one's a little more like generic Middle East. Um, 
uh, whereas Extraction is like specifically yeah. India, right? Yeah, and anyway. this—I mean—this movie is a lot more science fiction than Extraction. Yes, yeah. But, but you can def—if you're working at the video store, you can definitely suggest the same movie to the same guy, and he's probably going to like him. Exactly. But comparing it to that, the action for this is also pretty pedestrian and pretty boring. Like, yeah, I think it, we, it, it, especially all the hand-to-hand combat, of which there is a lot. Um, it's not that impressive. You can tell the sound design is doing most of the job for like knowing the impact of the hits and stuff like that, because pretty much it's just it's very chopsocky kind of stuff. Like um, just yeah. a, a, a fuck ton of coverage on all the fight scenes so that you never really have to see who's doing what for very long. Um, exactly. It and works so- enough to carry an action scene. It's competent, but it's not. Doesn't it's not stand out in any way. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not bad, but it's like I I think it's just sort of bland, like sort yeah. of. Uh, it's a type yeah. of like action directing you would see in like Marvel Shield television show or something so like that's, that. That that brings me to to my next thing about this movie. It feels the scale of this feels very small. Like it feels like a TV pilot. It, it feels like a TV show more than a movie because uh, in, and like you said, it, the action does sort of have like an agents of shield, like, like mainstream, like TV thing. And, part of me is like maybe this would have been better as a TV show cuz then we could at least see these heroes live, you know, forever and we could jump back and forth through different time periods and stuff. Like yeah. I kind of want like we get a little bit of that. Um and that was the most interesting stuff to me. I was like mm-hmm. I want I want more of this. I want more of this immortal stuff. I don't care about evil pharmatech <laughs> yeah, and like what their current mission is, like that you know, it like you said, it, the story's competent enough to set up, you know, like this is a personal mission versus just a, just a normal day. But like, I don't know, I just for the most part found it pretty boring. Yeah, I didn't find it boring. I thought it was fine. I thought it was like it feels in a weird way, kind of dated. Like, and maybe, yeah. maybe that's, um, in part because of the budgetary limitations or something. And it, by the way, it, I mean, it, 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 scale wise, it's big enough. Um, but it feels like a movie that would have come out in like 2003 or four, like sort of yeah. in the post underworld kind of thing where we were looking at just like, or even a post matrix type of thing, even though it's not as like, you know, sheeny or gothy or anything as either of those movies. Um, it, it does have that kind of like, we're trying the comic book thing, but we don't quite have the confidence to totally go for it. Um, yeah. Of that era, that like early 2000s supernatural superhero films, uh, supernatural or supernatural action films that aren't quite superhero films. Um, and maybe that's why I found it kind of boring is because I feel like I just felt like I've seen this movie already, you know? We kind of have, yeah. I mean, it, it's very base. It's sort of stock. Um, there's there's things to like about it. I think specifically for me, it's it's Charlize Theron. Um, well, yes. I mean, that's kind of a given. In I in general, I do think the the cast is. I almost fun. feel like the cast yeah. think 
yeah, they, I think they might. I don't know. Yeah, I, I almost wonder if they think they're in a different movie because nobody's phoning it in here. Like everybody is no. committed to it, and and, and I'll give I, that know, to I, uh, I'll give that to the director too, Gina Pierce Brythewood, who's also did uh, Love and Basketball and some other stuff, but. I think she's treating the source material as seriously as possible. She's not. She didn't turn this into like dumb action camp, which would have been very easy to no, do. That's it kind of kind of lands I, there anyway. I think we could have used a little camp, like I think just like a. Touch I don't think of it camp. needs to be the I, losers. See, I think it. I think it could have benefited from that a little bit. Like, I don't. I think maybe not entirely stylistically, but I think. When we're dealing with fucking soldiers that are undying and keep coming back to life, like I yeah. think a little touch of camp is is needed. I, I do think the cast is is great. I think they're they're doing the best with it what they have to work with. But I something that could make the script pop a little more is like let's have fun with this a little bit. You know, yeah. like these people have lived for hundreds of years if not thousands of years uh you know like definitely thousands of years uh let let's play with that a little bit like yeah uh let's because even the matrix you know as 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 stoic as that movie is yeah like at least they have fun with the premise like where they go and do the training mission or the training sessions and stuff and and there's something kind of like that that happens in the movie like there's a what what is a uh, Morpheus say? Don't fight me or, or oh yeah 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 but he, okay yes but let's compare those scenes uh uh that I happens think that's in the aircraft great... carrier exactly I think that's a great analogy uh, uh comparing it to the Matrix because in the Matrix uh, in you know the, there's a very dim- different premise but they're able to like load a fucking kung fu program and at that point the the movie has no fucking inhibitions it's like fuck yeah this is a goddamn kung fu movie where people can kind of fly like yeah. you know and and they they embrace that they like it whereas you know in the the plane scene and i get charlie's theron's character's tired and she, you know she definitely plays that really well but it's like this scene it it becomes exhausting because it's like they're not having any fun with this action. And that could have been, like, a fun moment. You know, like, mm-hmm. if, if she, like, in I don't know, she has to, like, keep fucking killing her to just, like, get the point across. Uh, like, they kind of do that a little uh, at the beginning. And, you know, that's not necessarily... I'm just thinking, like, how can we play into this premise a little bit and have some fun with it? Uh, you know, like, maybe they get into a fucking axe fight you know she has this giant axe that she carries around through the, through, for the whole movie but she barely uses it uh you know maybe they fight with flails or start you know there's all these weird old weapons on this plane or something like let's let's buy into the camp just a little like yes we can still have all of the emotional stuff um because i do think it's good and i do think you know, there's generally some some good characters in this. Just let's let's see them play a little bit. I think a lo- another big problem in the movie. There's a few, um, and it's all for me. It's mostly comes down to the writing. Um, yeah. I don't really care about the villain or the ultimate plot of the movie. Unfortunately, exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's a big 
part of what's going on. I think you could make up for that in other ways, but and they they mostly do, but it's still kind of the least interesting thing. So once you get to the last third of the movie, you're it's really on autopilot. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a problem. Uh, and I think the movie is like really, really, really expository. And there's yeah. a scene oh, yeah. in the middle where they explain, um, you know, uh, Charlie Sarek. Theron's character is like in another room or she's asleep or something. (laughs) And one of the other going to say, right. One of the other characters just starts talking to uh, the new, the new member of the group and explaining her entire backstory. And it kind of goes back into flashback, but it still has, still has him as, as a narration of the flashback. Don't do that. He literally says the words, he feels response. She feels responsible for her death. Yeah. Like, come on. It's like, we can infer that. <laughs> Give the audience a little credit. You don't need to actually say it. Like, right. And I think that you could have fun breaking up the monotony of this, like, basic um, yes. uh, yeah. action movie stock uh, rescue movie plot. Just... And, and be able to break that up with these flashbacks um, without having to, like, hold the ha- the audience's hand through them and say, okay, we're going into a flashback now. Let me narrate exactly what you're supposed to be exactly. getting out of this. Like, we'll figure it out. Like, like yeah. how much more badass would it have been had we cut down on some of the weird Middle Eastern invasion stuff and added, like, maybe we show her meeting every one of these these other soldiers like mm-hmm. you know because they talk about how much older she is than these other these other guys but like to us to the audience it's all the same like mm-hmm. it, it it feels like they're just a, a, they've always been together show us meeting them and show some of these battles even if it's through a montage like you know, show that transition to time to fucking rip off the beginning of Wolverine Origins because that's the only good part of that movie. <laughs> show us. Don't well, actually, is- funnily enough. So when I watched this, I didn't know anything about it. I knew that it was kind of like a, a mercenary kind of thing. That's all I knew. I thought it was going to mm. be kind of like red or whatever. And okay. or the losers or something like that. And so I just, you know, hit play. I'm watching it and they're, you know, they're showing her or showing the team like doing some operative work or whatever and in the Middle East. And I'm like, I got to a point where they're on their first mission and they're going to go rescue of oh, yeah, that yeah, thing yeah. and they're ambushed. Um, and I, I was like, what is this movie about? And I look, I go to IMDb and like read the uh, synopsis and it's like, blah, 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 immortal soldiers. I'm like, immortal? And then... They're all mowed down <laughs> and then come back to life. I'm like, oh, I, I wasn't supposed to know that yet. <laughs> yeah, but that I scene would have the- been more exciting if I didn't know. So I get why they didn't open it that way is because they want that to be sort yeah, of a shock but, moment. But I when you realize it's a I science fiction film. Yeah, but I think I think they played that wrong. I don't know. I think play I because that moment didn't work for me either. I did kind of know the premise, but like. I don't know, or or that moment needed to be sooner. Like I, it just was. I don't know. It didn't. It didn't work for me. I I, I, I would like have that. opened the film because I think yeah, like the first bit of it where it's just like Charlie Theron complaining about 
life or whatever, and then them kind of flying around and zipping around and talking to Chaotology or four. And I was pretty bored for about 10, 15 minutes there until exactly. until we figure out what's going on. Then I was like, oh, okay, this is this. We're in like total comic book goofy land. Cool. Um, but I would have opened the film with the scene where. And I should say her name because she's a pretty big star in the movie. Kiki Lane. Kiki Lane. I would have opened and the she's scene. she's great, by yeah. the way. I mean, she is, she, again, uh, sort of a thankless, I'm the audience surrogate. Everyone gets to explain everything to me role. But in that, she does good. Um, I would have opened it with the scene where she's in, in uh, Afghanistan and uh, gets her throat slit and then wakes up with uh completely healed in the hospital that's a much more intriguing opening than exactly like and then you can from the very beginning yeah and use her as the surrogate into all the sci-fi stuff rather than opening with the team which is just like a here's a bunch of people doing some military shit or whatever um yeah i i just i just felt like like uh great we're you know we're just running around guns in the middle east like I wanted to see them using their cool weapons and their cool... Like, give us that do a, a little. little bit. You do a little. You know, there's, it, there's like three, I want to say, pretty prominent battle scenes in the film. But again, yeah. they're not shot... They're not... The, the, the fight choreography is not um, impressive. It's, it's serviceable, but not impressive. And that's kind of what I think about the whole movie. It's like, to me, this is like a B minus. It's... It's entertaining-ish, but you have seen 5,000 movies just like this. Yeah, I I think you're a little more forgiving than me. I'm giving it a solid C. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I liked the premise. I liked all the actors and, and everything. Mm-hmm. It just didn't come together in any way that was really interesting to me. And and I, I think they kind of wasted a, a cool idea and you know they definitely set it up for a sequel or whatever but i just they was did like, i don't know it was just it was fine it was it was fine yeah like it, it, it wasn't terrible it, it's not gonna kill anybody's career right uh, it'll probably you know it'll probably boost a couple people's careers um but it was just I, completely unremark unremarkable in almost every way to me sure i just kept thinking like if this came out when i was in high school and we all went and saw this instead of SWAT, we probably would have got the same out of it. Yeah. So exactly. take that for what but for whatever. Solid C, completely average for me. Well then let's go ahead and talk about talk about the last film. Um, this was the uh, streaming homework that I assigned you. This is Liquid Sky, and I will describe this or attempt to. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, so this is sort of a cult film. I had heard about this on various things. I'd never really knew exactly what it was about. I know that it had sort of a sci-fi premise um, that had to do with aliens that live in like uh, New York in the early in the early eighties, like new wave danceteria kind of scene. And um, and I knew that uh, like the style of the film, like the costumes and the makeup and stuff, was like a huge influence on like. The electro clash scene in two thousands that Lady Gaga and stuff came out of. Um, so <laughs> the film as a, uh, as a story, I'm just going to read the premise right off of uh, off of the IMDb page because it does just as good of a job as I can. 
a small heroin-seeking UFO lands on a Manhattan roof and observes a bizarre drug-addicted fashion model and sucks the endorphins from her after she has sex with various men. Yeah. Uh, uh, In a weird way, it's kind of it follows like uh uh because there's these aliens that like kill people after they've uh orgasmed um so okay. it's it's like you know the idea of this uh unstoppable thing that that gets you uh i mean you know the allegory to uh aids is not hard to see in this uh, uh, I don't if, even know if it was intentional. But. It definitely wouldn't have been because in 1982, I don't think the disease was like um, on a lot of people's radar. It would have just barely, barely started at that point. And I don't yeah, think so it, that, people were really even talking about it in pop culture or even in regular culture or even in the news until like a good two or three years after this movie came out. But yes, it it did seem weirdly prescient in that way. Yeah, well, in in a lot of ways, actually, but uh, but that was the big one to me. I was like, oh, oh, damn. Um, okay, I I had to think about this movie a little bit because I I'm not gonna lie, I barely got through it. It's tough. When I was what when I was watching it. It's really tough. And I think the reason it's tough is because of the goddamn score. Yeah. This is probably the worst score of a movie i've ever heard <laughs> it's like this weird like te- like i don't synthy even want to call it techno like... yeah like synthy electronic theremin fucking clown music <laughs> like it sounds like the goddamn soundtrack to killer clowns from outer space but you know what killer clowns from outer space had was actual clowns yeah. like it is like imagine that for two fucking hours and and the reason i think it's the soundtrack is because there are a few scenes that are a little quieter a little slower paced that don't have any underscore and those scenes generally worked for me but for the rest of the movie, we have... <laughs> I mean, it doesn't even sound as intentional as you're doing. Like, it sounds... I mean, sometimes it sounds like somebody left their Casio out and the cat's stepping on it. Like, it, it, is, it doesn't sound like... There's no, like, tune or reason to the score. Like, it's not even memorable. Um, no, it's just You know, there were people during, around this time, like Tangerine Dream we talked about and stuff we were doing, and John Carpenter, we were doing synth scores that were a lot more propulsive and, like, aided in the scene. This oh, just, I am not against synth scores. I am against yeah. nonsense uh, noise <laughs> that's in the background through the whole right. movie. It's so distracting. Uh, um, because, like, I think... I think the look of this movie is cool as hell. Like like you said the the costumes are incredible. The makeup is so like is is so cool. Like I just I loved all of the aesthetic. Uh yeah, the like the fashion of like this, you know, early New York like fashion punk. Uh, yeah, the kind of like new romantic look from that time. Yeah. yeah, this underground club scene. Um, 
I do also think that this movie is about 45 minutes too long. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, here's the thing. So when I saw so when I saw the you know, the little snippets from it that I saw was like some of the dialogue scenes or whatever where um uh the main actress is is she plays a double part in the movie. Yeah, she plays Annie, two roles. Annie Carlisle plays Mar- uh Margaret and Jimmy. Yeah, and she seems to be in a different movie than everybody else. And, well, let's be fair. Everybody's in a different movie because this movie <laughs> yeah. is not really well directed. Um, so no, it's very holy <sighs> shit or edited. Holy fuck. Okay. Well, oh, it, and it's say edited. what you're saying, then I I got it. Right. It's yeah. edited. It's edited to death, but because you, you can tell they were. This is very low budget. This is like a hundred and a half or or a million. The editing and a half. of this movie made me feel crazy. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, but. Which might Keep be, going. May, may, might be something like intentional, but um, yeah. So you can tell that they were just grabbing shots where and whenever they could, however they could, um, just filming the actors kind of saying nonsense and then like cutting it, cutting it together in something that looks sort of like a scene. And that's sort of how the movie plays for two hours. Um, now, when I first saw some of this footage in like video essays and stuff, I thought it was a comedy. I thought it was like <laughs> making fun of like hipster oh, douchebag no. punks from the early eighties and like oh, the danceteria no. scene and stuff. So or or I thought that it would be like a sort of a camp kind of thing, like sort of like the apple or um or or whatever, like um, Phantom of the Paradise or something like that. Like there's a sort of an either an intentional or unintentional camp that would be enjoyed. What I didn't know is when I when I started watching it, I got about 15, 20 minutes into it, I realized, oh no, this is this is like supposed to be like a somewhat serious film. Whoever made this thought they were making an art film. And it 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 did sort of play that way. I mean, it, it uh, went to like festivals and stuff, and actually the reviews are fairly like the, positive from the yeah, time. Yeah, it was like a, one of the highest grossing independent films that like the time it came out. Right, and you have to remember is, this is, is like the very early days of independent cinema, so they're like there's very little competition in that way. Like this would have been what? around the time that that um, Jim Jarmusch just barely started, and like some of these films. Um, John Sales and stuff like the, the the really early days of the in, of independent cinema. Um, so I can see like if you're going out in a festival in 1982 and you're just seeing this new stuff, like it all yeah. kind of like I I I sort of like this era of film and I like sort of the unpredictability of it and sort of the amateurish quality of it. That, but this film in particular is. I think exceedingly difficult because it's in my opinion, not very well made. I don't think it holds up. Um, the acting okay. almost all across the board is pretty bad. And, and I think there are films that sort of came out in this era. Like if you do want to think of something like repo man or even, uh, Alex Cox's earlier film, um, Sid and Sid and Nancy. Oh, okay. Um, like or even like the Penelope Spheres' Suburbia, like there was all this like kind of like punk underground movies that were coming around, or like the Lydia Lunch movies that were like super dingy, mm-hmm. dirty stuff. Um, or like I said, the early Jim Jarmusch movies. I think all of those movies, while dated in a certain kind of way and definitely of a time and of a certain place and of a culture, 
I think they still hold up as a piece better than this one does. I like you. I really like the aesthetics of the movie. I can definitely see why like somebody like Lady Gaga saw this in 2002 or something was like, well, this is my life now. (laughs) But I outside of that, like if you're playing this on the wall with no with no volume on uh, at like a gay club or something, then you would just stare in amazement at it. But if you're yes. trying to actually watch this as a narrative, it's it's pretty pretty difficult to sit through. Yes, I, one of those reasons is the editing. Uh, so there are these because I have to I have to come back to this. I have to talk about it. There there's this thing where they will have these two scenes playing, mm-hmm. uh, and they will the movie cuts back and forth to each scene as though the scenes relate to each other in mm-hmm. some way and the cuts are so quick it's like it's like 30 seconds a minute you know and they go back and forth cutting between these mostly dialogue driven scenes that have nothing to do with each other mm-hmm. it's insanity it it makes this movie so hard to follow for the first little while now i this is a like you said, this is a, a a difficult watch. I think there is some great stuff in here, though. Uh, like great, I th- I think there's some stuff that's that I, that I was like kind of blown away by. It just takes for fucking ever to get to it. I think this this should not have been a two hour long feature. It should have been like a forty five minute like short film. Mm-hmm. Um. Because the whole scene when, like, the photo shoot shows up in in her apartment and she, like, she gets high and she, like, forgets about it. Uh, and they just, uh, like, dispose of a body. Um, uh, I thought that scene was was pretty good. Uh, and, you know, they're, like, pressuring her to fucking blow. Jimmy is, like, super weird and... and and I think campy in all the right ways. Yeah. And then it like moves on to the, the scene where she's like in the dark and just put like puts the day glow makeup on her while she's like talking about all these people that have abused her. I was like, that was oh, visually damn. striking. That was like, yeah. And there's some, you can definitely tell like the person um, who made this, who's Russian by the way. And there is kind of a like lost in translation quality to both the yeah. writing and the directing of the film. Um, Slava Zuckerman, I think is how you pronounce his name. You can tell that he is approaching this much more from the visual fashion, mm-hmm. like Andy Warhol school of thought to the whole thing, or like a Kenneth Anger kind of like school of thought. Like there is a, there is a, a, genealogical connection to that kind of art cinema. It's yes, just not, yeah. it's, it's way too long to be a narrative and it's um, not interesting enough to connect all these scenes together. Yeah. Like, like I said, I think there's about 45 minutes of the two hours that, that works. And, uh, and, you know, I, and uh, uh, again, that scene, she's not only is, the visual really cool, but like what she's saying is actually really powerful and moving as well. And yeah. so it's like, it's the only time when the visuals and the movie match up, uh, and yeah. sort of, and coalesce to actually like work and, and make something more, um, 
Uh, that and I was pretty entertained by Adrian, uh, played by Paula E. Shepard, her fucking beatbox song. Uh, and all these fucking white people trying to dance to this, like, <laughs> nonsense, uh, yeah, m- melody, like, rhythmless, uh, <laughs> uh, beat poetry. Uh, I right. thought that scene was pretty good, too. And uh, I, so there's, I like a lot of, like, I like a lot of the music this movie's making, well, not I'm making fun of, or trying to appropriate in some sort of way. Like, I like nonsense noise music from New York in the early 80s. <laughs> no wave music and that kind of stuff that's um, extremely abrasive and even by today's standards is, like, um, very radical. Like, I like that kind of music. And, and the stuff that they were, you could tell this director and, or whoever was in charge of the music department and... They kind of knew about the scene from reading about it, but was never actually there. So yeah. they just like <sighs> tried to come up with what they think <laughs> the music sounds like based on articles they've read in the New York Village Voice or something. Well, and and I think that's why you thought this movie was more of a parody. I think that's yeah. why you thought it was comedy was because it's like these sort of outsiders of the scene trying to recreate the scene. And so yeah. it's like... It because of that, it's like it feels like they're making fun of it until you realize it's earnest. Uh, God, the beatbox thing I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, um, I mean, she she in particular is one of my <laughs> I don't know about least favorite. She's really bad in this movie and um, almost entertainingly so. I'll give you that. Like, if I wanted like a so bad it's good camp yes. factor, she is where it's at. Um, yes, and, yes, but um, those scenes are too few and far between. And I know this, I don't, I, I'm of two minds about the sexual politics of this movie because, um, in one way, they are kind of commenting on sexual abuse. And clearly, that's a big part of what the whole thing is because, like, the whole alien conceit is based upon this, this woman's orgasms and her sex life. And there's something to be said about, like, you know, the way that she's used by older men and da da da. And so yeah. there's a lot to be said about those things, I think. For, but, for uh, sure. But I think the way that it plays in the film feels aloof. And like, there's like five almost rape scenes in this film that I think are there's not several specifically rape scenes. Like they're, yes. they're not almost rape scenes. Like she gets raped multiple times in this movie. And, that's and it is hard to watch. Hard to watch, even though it's like, choreographed so goofily or whatever it's just like the like people who live today and you know who make youtube videos about why it's dumb that we're having all these women direct superhero films or women um being represented in films in certain ways or they think it's all just sjw nonsense i want to like at least maybe not the people making those videos because they're made largely in bad faith but I want the people who are seduced by those videos to go back and watch movies like this that aren't that long ago. And you well, realize see- how far we've come and you realize like how fast and loose people used to play around with rape. I mean, even yeah, something yeah. like even something like um, Saturday Night Fever or something like 16 Candles. There's just 
these like casual rape scenes that are kind of disgusting. And I know like this film is trying to comment on it a little bit, but I, so I, 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 I'm just confused on like, is, is this sleazy or is this trying to be about it? I don't know. So, uh, there's definitely some sleaze here, but I think this movie is unintentionally a little, maybe unintentionally, um, because I I actually, I'm not totally sure either. But from what I saw, from what I was watching, I took it as actually kind of a little ahead of its time because she, again, suffers multiple abuses at the hands of multiple men uh, 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 in varying degrees from explicit physical violence and rape to emotional abuse and, uh, uh, coercion and yeah. And, uh, sexual assault. And she's clearly not okay with these things. Um, and, and the reason I think it's erring on the side of not as sleazy as you might think is for the most part, the camera isn't viewing her as a sex object. We're seeing her be victimized. You know, it's not overly exploitive with like tit shots and stuff like that. It, it, you're feeling her physical discomfort. You're feeling her pain. And at a certain point, she takes that and she, she realizes what's happening and that uh, when she has sex with people, they die. She doesn't understand that it's based off of the orgasm. And she weaponizes it. She she says, okay, I'm not going to be a victim anymore. And I'm if you if you want to rape me, if you want to assault me, let's let's do it, you know, and see what happens. And and she murders people like she has the intent to kill. Right. I, but so I, I, I agree with you that I think that that turn happens too late in the film. Yes. And the, because that's like almost the conclusion that she comes to that point. And mm-hmm. also the filmmaking in general is not good enough to to nail that down emotionally. So it ends I, up coming off as aloof. I, I agree with you. and But that, that's why I think it's uh, maybe unintentionally a little more progressive than it than it realized. Like, I, I think... Right. Or maybe at the time, in 1982, people were like, oh my god, what a great feminist film. And But now we look back at it and go, ooh, this is yikesies all over the place. Yes, yeah, exactly. But but I think it's yikesies because it's so explicit. It, it's not yikesies in a way that glorifies it. Yeah, like I it's think- trying to be, like, a edgy movie. Like, it's not... Yes. It's not just, like... It's not... Animal House or whatever that like no totally makes fun of or makes light of this stuff, but is but it is um I don't know but, it, it I don't think it all the way the, works. I I agree with, you. uh, but I think I think its intentions are probably closer to the right place than we think because these men are almost entirely viewed as as despicable. Uh, that right. almost all of them are are bad, uh, you know, and, and it doesn't glorify their actions, it, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't make you sad that they get their comeuppance, it, 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 you know. It's like at a certain point you're like, yeah, fuck them so they die, <laughs> which which is weird, and that's where it, I think it gets sweaty. Yeah, um, that's but, what I'm saying. Like there is almost kind of a 
pornographic quality to the way the storytelling works. Like, it actually, in a weird way, it kind of reminds me of that movie Teeth that we saw not yeah. very long ago. That's a plotted very similarly, has kind of a similar message. But I also, think that like, movie kind of pulls this off a little bit better as far as yes, as far I as how it deals too. with the sexual politics. But but again, I think that that movie was a lot more aware of that from the get-go, where I think that's right. just sort of how this movie ended up. I, I just think it is... Uh, there's definitely a weird connection between this movie and, and uh, the AIDS epidemic, though, because the two ways people die are through engaging in sex and drugs through doing heroin. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is like weirdly prescient. Yeah. Um, so I, I think this movie, my like, other comment was this is, this movie is why straight edge happened. Kind of. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, I, I a bunch think, of punks went and saw this uh, and they're like, you know bit, what? Like fuck out, fuck all of this. And, you know, just like the culturally, I can see how people are like, Ugh, I don't want that scene at all. Right. Um, ultimately, I think this is visually a decent movie at times, <laughs> um, but it is it is a whole lot. I, I agree with you that I think the the people that are sort of influenced by this type of film are definitely like taking it to a, a much better level where it is, you know, like at least interesting. Well, I don't know. This movie's fucking interesting, but it's weird. It's, yeah, I, I, I can't say that I necessarily recommend it for most people, though. Like, I think no, the vast I, majority of people I, <laughs> who turn this on and are, well, will at best get 20 minutes in. Um, that, okay, that's another thing about this movie, though, is I think if this movie started 20 minutes earlier than it did, because, like, the first 10 or 15 minutes there's almost no dialogue mm -hmm. and you know it's all it there's this long extended scene of people literally just like uh, first just colors and then just <laughs> like people kind of bopping around in a fucking disco that to completely arrhythmic music <laughs> and then finally we get to the point where these two people who you can't immediately tell if they're the same actor or not mm -hmm. are talking about drugs it takes a while for this movie to fucking get anywhere to settle into a story yeah um, yeah i think if you chop the first 20 minutes out of this movie we might be talking about something here <laughs> maybe um i'm going to say it's it's pretty skippable i i would say if for whatever reason you did see this and like it or um, want to see something like this, but actually is entertaining on a story level as well. Just watch Repo Man. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that there's so many other movies that pull off what this movie's going for better. Yeah. And, you know, if it's the aesthetics, watch Blade Runner. Yeah, has, I mean, that, uh, that has sort of approaches similar stuff. Um, Google this movie and look at just look at the images because there's some weird stuff. Like there's yeah, some like cool costumes, some cool makeup. Like I like that sort of like that new wave, new romantic sort of thing. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, I can definitely see like like how that was a huge influence on like the early two thousands electro clash thing. But yeah, like as a movie, this is just kind of a toothache. I I will say though. I was impressed 
with, solely with that scene where she's like putting the fucking makeup on in the dark. Yeah. Like if you could find sort of that in section isolated, that might be the way to go. Yeah. Uh, because I I was I was not expecting this movie to ever uh like connect with me, but I was like, "Oh damn, that's like that's actually really good right there." Like this 5 minutes is actually really good. Uh Whereas the rest of the movie is kind of a mess. And I think Anne Carlyle is, it's not a professional performance in that it's kind of amateurish in the way the whole movie is. But I think that she approach, she achieves something kind of interesting, especially the dual role and stuff. And I think there's sort of a dry wit to her, her line delivery that sort of works better than everyone mm. else in the movie. Um, yeah. It's just the movie she's in is not helping her. Okay, no, I can't yeah. believe we talked about that movie as long as we did. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and uh, uh, what was what was the uh, movie you wanted to assign me for the next episode? So, uh, just for a little context, um, this next week is my fifth wedding anniversary, mm. and uh, my wife has been bugging me for literally as long as we've been dating. To watch the notebook. Uh, so I noticed that the notebook is str- currently available on Netflix, um, unless it hopefully it doesn't change over because we're near the end of the month. Um, uh, yeah, we're so literally our, the last people to watch this movie. So it's true. I've never I've never seen it. You've yeah. never seen it. Um, so I think we can come at this with some pretty f- fresh eyes and and. And let's give it a, a, a pretty, uh, you know, an objective going over. Um, so our Netflix homework for next week is The Notebook. <laughs> All right. And if anybody has anything to say about any of the topics discussed on this ep- episode or past, um, you can contact us at our email at uh, mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on social media at MacGuffinPod on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow me individually at BC Cassidy. Uh, and you can read the reviews I do for the Idaho State Journal just by Googling Idaho State Journal movies. You'll see the reviews there. Uh, while you are on the MacGuffins page, MacGuff.in, be sure to read the other articles and uh, reviews by the MacGuffin staff. Your Is turn. That me? Yes. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Keith Foster Kid. You can also follow me on Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. And uh, like we talked about on my uh, earlier in the show, you can check out my art account on Instagram at Sticky Note Aesthetic. All right. And that'll be it. It's nearly impossible to disappear in the world we know. No, fuck. One more take. It's nearly impossible to disappear in the world we live in today. Bye.